Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is one of our favorite guests. He is a former nine-year Major League Baseball veteran, Brooklyn native, former Mets pitcher. He's an alum of our co-host, AJ Carr's beloved Brandeis University, where he pitched for three years, earned a bachelor's degree in American Studies. He was drafted 833rd overall by the New York Mets in the 30th round of the 1995 Major League Baseball draft. I mentioned Phil Foreman because... Uh, our guest has become an instant favorite at last year's Mets Fantasy Camp, so much so that Phil Foreman in the chat room is saying, please tell Nelson to draft me. He currently is a studio analyst for SNY's pre- and post-game coverage of the New York Mets. It's our pleasure to welcome back Nelson Figueroa to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Nelson. Take a deep breath, brother. Wow, that's an intro. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, so the Mets headed into the offseason with lots of questions. Some of them have been addressed. Others are still on the agenda. So let's start You know, at the top of the hour. We heard Terry Collins. He's no longer the Met manager. The Mets interviewed several candidates, including their current hitting coach at the time, Kevin Long. Uh, also at the time, Joe Girardi was still under the employment of the New York Yankees. Uh, they hired Mickey Calloway. Kevin Long then bolts for Washington. Girardi becomes available. So a couple of questions here. First, do you think the Mets were too hasty in their hiring and may have had other managers available to them? And you know, what will the effect of Kevin Long leaving? And do you like the Mickey Callaway hiring? Wow, that's uh, three prongs. So let's hit the first one. Yeah. Mickey Callaway's hiring. I believe that it wasn't a panic move um, at the same time that you knew that Girardi was out. Girardi as a good fit. If he wasn't a good fit for the Yankees and everything that he has done already and continued to do into a uh, game away from being in the World Series with a team that wasn't expected to even compete this year, if that wasn't going to be the direction that new baseball is going with the Yankees already in, in tow, then I don't think he was going to be a good fit for the Mets and the direction that they're trying to move in. Baseball is trying to get younger, gentler and smarter at the same time. Um, talking about the analytics and the ability to use the analytics uh, and, and dealing with people who basically, someone like Mickey Callaway has been raised with the analytics. And not that the analytics are the end all of what should be decided as a manager, what moves to make, but with all the information that is now present of the history of a certain player or certain matchups, then it gives them a better feeling of how to use the numbers in, in, and put their players in their best positions to be successful. Having said that, baseball has done that forever. <laughs> Guys just used to keep a book about the simpler things of, was he successful at getting the guy out or not? It didn't go down to the millimeter of points or on-base percentage or OPS+. plus. So it's been done in the past, and you had managers who could do that off the top of their head, bench coaches who could do that because they kept a, uh, literally kept a notebook of, of those such matchups. And so that when they were called upon and said to the bench coach, hey, what do you think about this matchup? Well, you know, he's gotten them out every time in the last two years that we've put him to face. Him. That's how key that that's been. Now that guys who haven't played the game 
have now had access to these numbers and now trying to use them more, we're seeing the game go in that direction. So Mickey Callaway understands that, but at the same time, Mickey Callaway is someone who had to use the numbers to his advantage as a player and can translate what those numbers mean to players in situations in hopes of getting the most out of them. That is yet to be seen. You know, John Harper... No, I'm, sorry. Had, I'm sorry. John Harper had a column in the Daily News today, and it talked about basically some things that the Mets would start trying now that the Indians have been doing to keep the pitchers healthy. I don't know if you saw the column, but different things, tests, off days, a lot of different metrics uh, basically to keep pitchers healthy. What do you feel about that and, and this move, not just to analytics on the field, but really different things in terms of keeping players on the field and healthy? Well, what you're looking at is the days of guys kind of doing what they wanted to do or enjoying themselves in the nightlife of New York, I think they're noticing the breakdown of the professional athlete. And if you bought a $2 million car, would you put the worst gas in it that you could possibly put? It's the same kind of thing that they're wanting to do with their professional athletes now. They want to monitor what intakes and uh, that they're having in their lives. They want to monitor what kind of foods they're eating. They want to make sure, and the Mets have done that in the past, of trying to get the best possible nutrition and, and things of that nature to help with the athletes. Now you're talking about other things like hydration. Uh, we know that Cespedes is somebody that they tried to stay on top of religiously with hydration, and in two years it just seemed to not be his thing. Um, this is something that the Cleveland Indians had done with their pitching staff and, and, and the pitchers, and they wouldn't be able to go out and throw a bullpen if their hydration levels weren't proper because you didn't want to further tax the player and then put him behind the eight ball going into his start. So it's understandable what they've been doing and, and what has worked. And, again, if you can keep the product on the field, that's the overall plan. So th there's all kinds of new technology that's being used is just a gray area, a big gray area for teams and players and the Players Association, whether wearing a wristband that measures all these different components and really tells about the person's activity, their sleep patterns, a guy's getting into bed at 5 o'clock in the morning or the guy that went to bed at, you know, 11.30 after playing in the game till 10.30, which is the guy that you'd rather have in the lineup? Well, you already have that data because the guy wore the bracelet all night. That right. was one of the things that the Players Association tried to get rid of. So it's very... It's very complex whether it's going to work or not. I think success ratios of, of guys being able to be on the field. I mean, Cleveland had their share of injuries as well. Guys were hurt. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. Grant but the more that you can try and prevent, the, you're looking more preventative yeah. measures that are being taken rather than saying, okay, now that he's hurt, how can we make him better? And it's interesting because if you take a look at just three guys, I'll mention yeah. three pitchers, and you would say, how did these guys stay on the field all the time? Mickey Lolich, Bartolo Colon. Right. And and Sid Fernandez. So yeah. there's, the, there's the aberrations and all of this. One of the things that struck me, it, and it was a central theme of the introductory press conference, was about players feeling loved. Um, we have a, a former Met manager in Met history that was hired because of his particular skill set at that time was that his managerial stint prior to that was with the Dodgers and Jeff Torborg, and he fostered this yeah. you know, family environment. Which, and of course, did not work. It didn't work here. It was yeah. a season and a half, 85 wins, 115 losses. Being a former player, when you hear a manager say, makes this statement as his introductory press conference, 
We're going to care more about the players than anyone ever before and let them know they're human beings and individuals. This is going to be a group that feels that every day they come to the clubhouse, it's going to be our main concern to show them that we know this game is difficult and we're going to care about you as a player and a human being and in your personal life. As a former pro, is any of that important to you? As a former pro who didn't feel very loved to be a feed in go out there and get everybody out. Um, no, because bottom line is you're a professional. You're expected to get the job done. My biggest concern about this new philosophy and the new culture is that, and he's even said it a few times, you know, a guy's going to make an error, a guy's going to blow a game, but we're going to let him know that we care. That works great in middle America and in the Midwest. That's not going to fly in New York after the second time that the same mistakes are being made. That, that's just the, the nature of the beast. My biggest concern with that is that that sounds great. It, does, it sounds great. It sounds great for the players. They, 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 we've noticed uh, the more humanizing element of baseball with Wilmer Flores and everything he went through with the trade and, and you know, Zach Wheeler calling and saying, don't trade me, I want to be a Met, I want to be a Met. And, yes, we realize that these guys are humans, but at the same time, if you're not getting the job on the field, no one cares about your feelings. No one, as a fan, even your teammates, really wouldn't care what's going on with your, with your feelings if you're not getting the job done at the major league level to help the ball club win. What I haven't seen in the last couple of years is accountability. And by accountability is if you're not getting the job done and you have an ERA over seven, you should not be in the major leagues. But certain guys have been given opportunity after opportunity, and I think that's where he's trying to say that, you know what, maybe there's more to it than just baseball. And you have to kind of be more of a sports psychologist than a manager that sits back and kind of says, you know, there's one way to get it done. It's my way or the highway. I think that's what baseball is leaning more towards. You're looking at a guy who can sit in a room and, and figure out, you know, what's going on with this guy. That, you know, you, and, and I'm telling you, it's gonna, you're going to start hearing about it. You know, a guy breaks up with his fiance or something happens. or You're going to hear more and more about these off-the-field things that are affecting performance that you would never hear from or never heard about in the past. I, my, my wife and my family, we've had two miscarriages in spring training, and no one cared when I got back to spring training. They just wanted to know if I was okay and ready to play. It's a different time. It's a different game, and, I, and I'm understanding that you want the players to feel loved because, again, he's coming in, and I made this reference before. He's coming in almost as the stepfather. So the old mom and dad get divorced. The mom now marries the young you know, stud Stepfather, he is that now young stepfather who's trying to <laughs> fit in. Who's trying to fit in with the players and trying to, you know, gain their trust. And while you don't want to be their friend, you want them to feel like they can come to you. You want them to feel like they can confide in you. They can trust you because they don't know Mickey Cowley. What is he supposed to say? Mm-hmm. I'm going to run them till they drop. I'm going to, you know, make sure they never forget my name. That kind of thing. They, they, you can't go in it with that way. So by saying he's going to be a kinder, gentler type of stepfather, until they feel that confidence and they can trust him and they win games, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to build some kind of level of trust, and it's yet to be seen what is going to fly and what isn't. 
Great. Now, now you've given me this visualization of him as Will Ferrell and, and Terry as uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, let, let's turn our attention to the field where this team, it's hard to believe, is only two years removed from a World Series appearance. It needs a major rebuild. The old baseball adage was the foundation of a team is strength up the middle. Catcher, second base, shortstop, center field. So let's start with, with the catching position. For me, you know, the Travis Darno experiment now is going into his sixth season. What do you see? What do you think the Mets see in Travis that they continue to believe that he's more than a 244 hitter and he can be better defensively? You know, that he can be better defensively than he's shown that we're now going into season six of of Travis Darno. I think it's, it's, you're, you're at the point now where players are no longer, an everyday player is no longer thought of as the guy who plays 160 out of 162 games. That is going by the wayside. It's, it's becoming fewer and fewer, and it, it's, it's falling the way of the complete game. Um, so I think if you're looking at Travis Darno and you were hoping that he would be that guy that would be able to catch you know, 150 games even, that you could tell was not going to happen. He wasn't able to do it. He would break down. He'd get injured. He, his bat would drag. His average would plummet. He'd hit a few home runs, and everything would change, and he'd change his stance, and there's too many variables for him. So what are you trying to do now? You're trying to put out the best situations for each individual. So now if you want to say, hey, well, Travis matches up great against left-handed pitching. He's going to play the majority of the time against the left-handed pitchers. He's going to catch you know, I, we saw this platoon that seemed to work in August and September between he and Ploiecki. Right. And I, I, I felt that, you know what, it was good for competition-wise. It was good that they, were, they seemed a little bit fresher. Uh, they each were very, looked like they were more focused. I think when you're thinking of being a catcher and, and all the things that he has to do, all the variables that come at him from pitch to pitch, from at-bat to at-bat, game to game, there's so much that goes on for a guy who can't seem to focus on that for that long of a period of time, I think it's the best thing to have he and Ploiecki going back, back and forth. And, you know, whether it's, you know, in a, a week of games, you know, one catching four, one catching three, or five and two, but it's going to be a much more close to a, a split than it has been in the past. And I think that can work because Ploiecki did seem to make tremendous strides moving forward. So I think Darno, by having less, will be more. I think he'll be more productive that way. I think he'll be able to have better at-bats. I think he'll be able to kind of focus on the guys that he's going to have or has had success against, be able to continue having success against those guys and finding ways to continue improving. And it's small little increments with him. It's never going to be a big thing where all of a sudden he's going to come out and hit 40 home runs. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That, that, those days of him being the, the best power-hitting catcher, I think all that hype – and everything else has kind of got to be laid to rest. And now let's see what's the max you can get out of him playing, you know, maybe less than the three-quarters of the time that he was supposed to be playing, and you're gonna, I think you'll get more out of him. We're talking with Nelson Figueroa on Sports Talk New York. One of my pet peeves for years, and Mark and I have talked about this in there, maybe we've been talking about it last time, you talked about Darno and his defense up the middle. You want to build a team on pitching. And you've got all these young pitchers. You say, this is our future. And you have a question defensively at short, a question defensively at second well, base. I don't know if you have that question. I'm, I'm sorry, at, at, ca- at catcher, rather. Right. At catcher. At second base, uh, you know, where are you in center field, depending on who's playing center field? So what do you do in terms of, A, you know, 
Darno's defensive shortcomings, and I, Mark, you're going to lead into this, mm-hmm. about who's going to play second base to have a double play combination that will help your pitchers and, and have the range, basically, to get the right. balls. Well, just to piggyback on that, I'll never forget, Terry Collins specifically told me, Mark, yeah. nothing makes good pitching mediocre than mediocre fil- fielding. And yep. now, you know, the Mets and have I think been we've seen that. right. The Mets have been adamant about mm-hmm. they'd be comfortable with Estrubo Cabrera as their everyday second baseman. We obviously saw his range has diminished, you know. I don't know if Cabrera will be healthy for a full season, you know. Hopefully he will. Um, and the other guy who I love, but I, I, I think his shelf life with the Mets is limited. And, and granted, he's not a great fielder, but somehow I, I think you got to get Wilma Flores' bat in the lineup. But he's not an adequate defender. But this right. is also a team that got rid of Daniel Murphy because he was a defensive liability. So where are they going at second base? Well, second base, I think it all depends on where they're going at third base. Because if they're going after a big bat, a guy like Moustakas, who seems to kind of check a lot of boxes for the Mets, left-handed power bat, guy who plays third base, uh, above-average defender, and then you can move over Cabrera over to second base, where he played much better defense compared to his time at shortstop last year. Um, I think once he's acclimated over there, again, that one guy in the middle, when you talk about Rosario, that changes everything. Right. That now can skew, you skew the defense accordingly. His range makes everybody else's range in the infield a little bit better. Um, I think you also heard them talking about using the metrics a little bit more defensively, having to play a lot more shifts. The Mets were not the kind of team that seemed to shift three guys on one side of the infield very often because of that lack of range by that guy on the right side being, you know, uh, where it was Cabrera last year. Now all of a sudden you're going to have Rosario over there. Now you can put three guys on that right side and really help out the pitching staff when they do execute pitches and be able to have defenders there. So I think if those two things alone will help the defense, will help any second baseman. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not looking for the reincarnation of you know Robbie Alomar uh, at second base out of any of these guys. I think if you're going to be able to get uh, usage out of them the best way possible, I could see Cabrera being there as the everyday second baseman and you get a third baseman, whether it be Moustakas or whether it be a Frazier or someone like that, because I do think you still need those character guys and, and those veterans who know how to lead a clubhouse. So that's where Frazier comes into mind and checks a lot of boxes as well. You talked about uh, veterans and presence in the clubhouse. A name that's come up in free agency about coming back to the Mets is Jay Bruce. Do you see them doing anything like that? Or do you think they can go ahead with what they've got, not can go into, into the market for Jay Bruce, whatever it might be? That's the scary thing right now is that with the new <laughs> – the way that, that owners are using the metrics to shape the market is scary. It is, it is undoubtedly scary. And when you look at someone like Jay Bruce, who five years ago, this guy is getting paid yeah. for everything that he's done. Um, now you're talking about using the metrics to show what he isn't more so than what he is. And that's a scary thing. That, that is something that baseball really has, really has never been uh, you know, judged upon. You get pl- players are getting paid off of what they had done, not really trying to say, okay, this is what we think he will do, and so we're going to pay him thusly. And the whole market would sit at that number. We saw last year with a guy like Mike Napoli, who had career highs in every category. That normally got you a huge payday. He had to wait till almost February to sign a contract. You saw a guy who hit 41 home runs last year. He had to wait around to get a $3 million deal. 41 home runs yeah. 15 years ago would have gotten that man a four-year deal at $10 million at least a year. 
and everybody kind of laughed it off. He got three million dollar deal, and he didn't even live up to that three million dollar deal. Right, right. right. But, right. Yeah. but it. Does, but that. That to my yeah. point is that when you're looking at the market now, and Jay Bruce, when you think about everything that he has done, he played in New York, he played in, in, in Cincinnati, goes to the playoffs in both places, he goes to Cleveland, is an integral part of them in that run with you know the 23 games in a row. You see him go you know, playing with them in the playoffs. This guy has done everything that he is supposed to do. And yet, you look at it now in the market and you're hearing about, well, there's not really a market for Jay Bruce. That boggles the mind to me right now. Yeah, it's a whole, so, it's a whole new landscape. It certainly is. and it's a, Which makes the rumors that you've been hearing even more puzzling. One of the, the big rumors we hear about the Mets is that they've expressed interest in free agent first baseman Carlos Santana because of the familiarity with, with Mickey Calloway from their time together with the Indians. You know, he's 31 years old. He had 259, 363, 455 slash line, 23 home runs, 79 RBIs. Mm-hmm. But his position's first base. So, right. you know, should that be setting off alarms to what the Mets think of Dominic Smith with a very short sampling? Yeah, to me, the. It's not even been the short sampling with Dominic Smith. I think Dominic Smith, since the moment he got drafted, I mean, they saw him. They saw him in high school. They knew what what he was, his size, his his body type. They knew what he was, and they've complained about it ever since. You drafted him in the first round, being that size, being that shape. He he all he all he did on his end was hit and play great defense at first base. All the way up the line, he's won two MV, league MVPs. He's made the all-star team every year in every league that he's been in. And all he does is continue to produce. This year, you finally bring him up, and you didn't even bring him up when you first had the opportunity to do it in August, but you brought him up in that second wave of August when you finally bring Dominic Smith up. And you say, August, he has a, he has a decent August. September, he hits a wall, and he hits a wall hard. And do you know why he hit a wall? Because Dominic Smith this year played in 164 games, and the Mets didn't make the playoffs. So explain to everyone else, how do you say that the guy is out of shape and he, he didn't win the job in September, where he has played in, again, 164 games between AAA, big leagues, and the All-Star game in which he played seven innings as well. He was dead tired the bat was swinging him so when you saw him hitting some home runs he was guessing right on some pitches that he was looking for hit some home runs to show that he had power and he showed power that they didn't think that he really had he showed that he had power the batting average plummeted because again he was over swinging and overmatched at times but 164 games this guy played in and you're that's that his shortcoming was he was out of shape then why do you play him 164 games Right. That, to me, is the biggest red flag. Because after he has played in that 164th game, you now are saying, don't know if he really is the first baseman. But he has done everything that you have asked of him as far as on-the-field production, with the bat, with the glove, in every league and every challenge you have put forth up to him. So to me, I wouldn't be talking him down. I'd be talking him up right. because if I really wasn't happy with him and I wanted to trade him, I would want to say, hey, I got a young guy who, right. man, if you give him every opportunity, he could be your everyday first baseman for the next 10 years. Instead, they seem to be talking him backwards right. and killing the market for his, his services, and yet you're saying you want to go out and get and pay somebody for first base where that was something that really wasn't even 
I, I thought. In my mind, I thought yeah, you had right. two cornerstone players that you were excited about. Right. I mean, could you imagine if they would talk about this guy the way they used to talk about Fernando Martinez and F Mart, the, the, yeah. the, sec- the, the second coming? Mm-hmm. All right, oh, Nelson, yeah. we, got, we got about uh, 30 seconds before we go to break. Uh, obviously, Thanksgiving's coming up this weekend, so holiday shopping is out there. Give us your three items on your wish list for the 2018 Mets. Oh, man, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I've been battling myself back and forth between Moustakis and, and Frazier. As a, I, I want that veteran presence. I want that guy, especially a big bat. I know Moustakis, it was a career year for him, and, and you, know, you don't know if he'll be able to maintain that, but I think he'd be a great fit. He has a lot of attitude in him. Remember, he wanted to take off Noah Syndergaard's head right. in the World <laughs> Series after that pitch up high and tight. So he's definitely that one of the guys I would want. Um, you know, I think Jose Reyes coming back as a utility player, a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything and have some speed. The team needs some speed as well, and his defense is better than most when it comes to playing up the middle. Um, and I really want to see – I think a, a reunion with Jay Bruce would not be a bad thing. I mean, if the market falls back down the same way Jerry Blevins fell into the Mets' lap again, and now you're looking at him picking up that second year on his option, it was a great deal for them. I think if the market falls down that bad and uh, Bruce liking the familiarity of New York may be a good fit still here in New York, and you get Conforto back, then you got Ligaris kind of hitting the bench again, but Conforto in center, and you have Bruce there. You need some kind of power from somewhere. If they're not going to get power from a guy like Dom Smith, they're going to need power of it back in the outfield again. Not a bad three. My, my three are, are D. Gordon, Lorenzo Cain, and Todd Frazier. I'd be happy. I, mean, I mean, yeah, if you want to <laughs> wish for the moon. I mean, hey, that's I what, want that's Trout what, in center field. Let's do that, too. <laughs> why don't we? But no, I get and, that. Wait, I, I, left, I left Carlos Stanton off the list. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nelson, have a great Thanksgiving. We appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Thank you, and uh, to Phil Foreman, don't worry, you will be my number one pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, Nelson. Nelson Figueroa, Brandeis alum, former New York Met pitcher, SNY pre- and post-game host, and Met fantasy camp favorite.